I will trust Brexit focus with Paul Goslin and Jared Dean. Welcome to a special edition of the Hollywell Trust Brexit Focus podcast. My name is Jared Dean and as always I'm joined by Paul Gosling. Paul, we've just had the opportunity for an interview that we couldn't turn down. Do you want to tell us a wee bit about it? Yes, uh, Derry was visited by David Liddington who may not be the most commonly known name in the cabinet but he is actually one of the most powerful ministers. He's pretty well second in charge of the government. His official title is Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster. Uh, he's actually the minister in charge of the cabinet office which also means that he's in charge of the delivery of Brexit alongside uh, uh, the minister for the Brexit department. And he told us about the border, about the future of the peace programmes and also about contingency planning for a no-deal Brexit. This podcast is funded by the Central Good Relations Fund, the Reconciliation Fund of the Department of Foreign Affairs, and core-funded by the Derry City and Strabane District Council and the Community Relations Council. Mr Liddington, thank you very much for agreeing to do this. Uh, now, the papers were published um, very recently by government indicating the no-deal scenario, and we've had International Trade Secretary Liam Fox indicating there's a 60% chance of no deal. I know that's not the government position, that's his position as a government minister. Uh, but you're advising people to prepare for the contingency of a no deal. What are you saying to the people living on the border in Northwest Ireland about how they should prepare for the risk of a no deal outcome? Especially well, given that uh, a lot of people here are committed to the use of the peace programme. Yeah. I don't think there's any reference to the peace programme well, in, in the no deal papers. Well, the, papers the, the papers that we published um, yesterday were the first 25 of what will be probably 80 plus different papers so there, 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 there are a, quite a number of subjects that are still to come and we'll see another round of publications probably in, in two or three weeks time certainly in, in, in September and, and the, what we're saying to, to businesses in uh, this part of uh, uh, Northern Ireland and Northern Ireland as a whole is first of all we don't think that no deal is likely and no deal is certainly not the government's objective. Quite the contrary, we're working as hard as we can to get a successful outcome to the negotiations. But we have to have these uh, uh, contingency plans just in case. Um, the legal situation would change if there were to be no deal, that under European law, the EU would start treating the UK as a third country. What we're saying in respect of things like product standards is that... Um, UK standards on food, food safety rules um, and so on, uh, are going to be exactly the same the day after Brexit as the day before because what we've already done is to take onto a UK legal basis uh, the EU ACCI, the, the, the legal and regulatory framework that governs manufactured goods, that governs ag the agri-food sector. Uh, so there's not going to be some sort of new disparity in the quality or the, the standards that are required. Secondly, we've said that so far as it lies within the power of the United Kingdom government, mm. we will be doing everything that we possibly can, even in uh, the case of no deal, to ensure that there is a uh, continued free trade across the border on the island of Ireland. Um, that is something that um, we believe is important in terms of the 
long-term commitment to peace building and reconciliation between different communities and overcoming the legacy of the, the troubles. Um, and we know that those objectives are shared by the government of the Republic of Ireland as well. What I can't do as a British minister is um, speak for um, ministers in the Irish government about what they would do in their jurisdiction. What they've said to us, and we, we put this in our uh, papers, a number of papers yesterday, is they've said to us that in those circumstances, which neither they or I want to see, they would be talking urgently to the European Commission about how to manage this, because obviously Ireland would have continuing obligations under European law, so they need to talk to the Commission about how we deal with this. Um, and we would be standing ready to have very urgent, very constructive conversations about how we achieve what we both want to see. But what you're saying is that people should, and businesses should, uh, prepare their own contingency plans in case of a no-Brexit deal. And so what would you say to, we have probably hundreds, possibly thousands of people every day who travel from Donegal into work in Northern Ireland. What contingency plan should they be well, taking? Well, the, the, in terms of people who are travelling to, to work every day, uh, there's certainly not going to be um, any sort of immigration checks that we're going to impose. The, the common travel area um, long preceded um, the entry of both the United Kingdom and Ireland into the European Union. And I mean, it happens that, that there's been easy upfront agreement uh, in the withdrawal talks that we continue the, the common travel area. Um, and certainly as far as the UK government is concerned, um, we will not see any reason to, to alter that arrangement. And what about the peace programme? Because I know that the European Union, as well as the UK government, is very committed to the idea of continuation of peace plus after peace four expires. But if there is no deal, then presumably that's off the table. So what contingency plans should those charities who are dependent on peace money put in place? Well, as I say, there will be other... Um, publications that will be coming out in, and, the, next, and they will deal with in the next few weeks. What, I, what I would point you towards is the fact that uh, in the papers we published yesterday, there were a number of uh, funding programmes that rely on EU money, where uh, whether, it's, and whether it's farm payments or rural development funding um, uh, or Horizon 2020 funding, what we said in each case is that we, it doesn't mention peace, peace programs. No, well, that's why I said there, there, yeah. there, 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 there are another um, sort of 60, 60 yeah. or so to come, yeah. 55, 60 mm. to come. Uh, the, uh, the, in those cases, we said, we said that we would uh, guarantee, in the event of no deal, to underwrite those payments as regard, as, as, as they affected UK. But that's only um, for Peace 4, users. not for Peace Plus after, after Peace 4. Well, that you can only give, uh, a the guarantee that we are giving is for the remainder of the financial framework period within which the EU itself is operating. I mean, yeah. none of us knows how much money the EU is yeah. going to have in its uh, multi-annual framework yeah. from 2021 onwards because they haven't yet sat, sat down and come to that agreement. So, so, so the guarantee is for the continuation to the end of the existing Peace 4 yeah, period, yes. and without any guarantee there will be a, uh, funding for the proposed well, that Peace is, Plus. You know, like like in, in those new circumstances, uh, you know, clearly the Northern Ireland Secretary would be you know, bringing forward proposals to the Cabinet and to the Treasury uh, as, as part of the uh, the process that we would be undertaking right across government about how we how we address issues to do with 
um, uh, funding that previously had been covered by various EU programs. You know, it would be um, this is an important part of it for Northern Ireland, but then you know, there are many other programs where we have had this now. What is the case is when, when we've left the EU, of course, we will no longer be making the, um, the, the, the annual net contributions to European Union funds, of which we then got some back in, in, in terms of, uh, of uh, uh, contributions to programmes within the United Kingdom. Um, so we have to sit down as a cabinet and look at proposals about how that money should be used and, 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 and how the funding should be organised. So one thing, for example, we have committed ourselves to already is that we will create something called a UK Prosperity Fund that will um, uh, substitute uh, for the money that is currently spent in the UK via regional assistance of various kinds. Now, when it comes to Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, because of the devolution uh, settlements, um, there are limits under the current law to what the UK government can do on its own without going through the and in working in partnership with the devolved governments. So there are talks going on in Whitehall already about how we are to manage that. But that is very much on our radar. It's something on, we are working on actively. And of course, the reason why we're talking about no deal is because it's difficult to see where the scope for compromise is. And perhaps you can guide us through this. Firstly, how is there going to be a compromise between the two different wings of the Conservative Party? And then separately, once they reach an agreement, if they can, how, where's the space for a compromise with the European Commission with this? Oh, I think you're, I think you're looking at it, I may say so, in the, uh, the wrong way round. I mean, the, what the Prime Minister is focused upon is delivering a deal that is in the national interest. And the great majority of Conservative members of Parliament want to see a successful deal um, because they know that that matters to businesses in their constituencies and to customers in their constituencies. And they also know that we need to put the arguments about Brexit behind us as a government because there are many, many other things that ordinary citizens in every part of the United Kingdom want us to get on and deal with. And that, that applies in, in Northern Ireland or Scotland as much as in England and Wales. Um, you know, People are wanting something done about housing supply and affordable housing. People are wanting uh, more done on vocational training skills and apprenticeships because we're going to have to upskill our workforce in, in terms of the technological revolution that is, that is hitting professions and industries at the moment. Um, they want us to be uh, dealing with uh, reform of the National Health Service so that the new money is spent in the right way. I, I take all that point, but the European Research Group, the people associated around Jacob Rees-Mogg, have indicated their willingness to basically vote against any deal which is seen as a compromise with the European Commission. On that basis, it's difficult to see where the scope is for a resolution. Well, I think that if, you know, if as I expect, we come to uh, a deal later this year, um, what you will have is not a hypothetical uh, deal uh, uh, that people are speculating about. You will have then a concrete set of proposals that will have been endorsed both by the British Cabinet and by the 27 governments of the European Union. And I think that changes the political dynamic very significantly. So, uh, and I, you know, from when I look at my parliamentary colleagues, uh, I believe that uh, there is a, uh, 
there's a minority of exceptions, but there is a general majority view uh, that what is in the interests of our country and the people we represent is a successful deal. That that is right but for economic trading reasons, that's obvious, but also for what I might term geopolitical reasons. You know, there are many global challenges, um, whether it is cyber security, international terrorism, the need to defend what we talk about as European values of, of um, uh, rule of law, democratic institutions, um, human rights, which are under real pressure in the world, including from extremist parties in Europe. Uh, and we need to have uh, an agreement that enables the UK and the EU to work together constructively on those matters in the future. And I talk to my colleagues, that is what the great majority of them want to see. David Lidington, Chancellor of the Judiciary of Lancaster. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. You can stay up to date with us on our social media pages on Facebook, look for the Hollywell Trust, and on Twitter, it's at Hollywell Team.